Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to be spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We make keeping up with the literature easy. It's like being spoon-fed the latest research right through your earbuds. Now, let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we'll be covering this week. First off, we had NSAIDs for fractures. They all good? Or maybe not so much. Then the accuracy of COVID antibody testing. After that, a new vasopressor. And finally, finishing off with a Christmas miracle. This, of course, is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by the jolly Clay Smith. And so now our first article, which was titled Non-Steroidal Anti-Inflammatory Drugs May Be Considered in Patients with Acute Fractures Out of the Annals of Emergency Medicine. So here we're going to do another point-counterpoint. One article for, and then another article against. This time it's going to be about NSAIDs for fractures. We've covered this before, but that doesn't mean that the issue is settled by any means. There was a large population-based study that showed no effect of regular NSAID use on non-union. But for selective COX-2 inhibitors, there may have been some signal. A pediatric study has also shown no association, but they never mentioned how long any of the patients were actually on NSAIDs for. Whether we can use NSAIDs or not is an important question. It could mean the difference between using opioids or not. Here are the points for the use of NSAIDs. These studies argued that short-term use of NSAID for fractures was safe. They point to several studies that showed no association of NSAID use with delayed healing or non-union. Most of the studies that showed a potential association actually weren't very good studies and did not adjust for confounders. Things like diabetes and smoking. These are things that we know impair fracture healing. Also, several studies that found an association with poor fracture healing were in patients receiving long-term NSAIDs, that is, for more than 30 days, rather than just a short-term course. The risk posed by opioid use is, of course, well known to us. So with that in mind, these authors argue that the benefits of NSAIDs outweigh the risk, especially in patients who are younger, have no diabetes, are non-smokers, and have non-complicated fractures. Now, here's a point against. And the points against come from an article titled Non-Steroidal Anti-Inflammatory Use for More Than 72 Hours in Adult Long Bone Fractures. The Risks Outweigh the Benefits, again, out of the annals of emergency medicine. These authors, on the other hand, argue the opposite, cautioning away from the use of NSAIDs for acute fractures. They argue that NSAIDs are liable to interrupt the important inflammatory processes that are needed for fracture healing citing previous evidence suggesting a dose and duration effect on delayed healing and non-union, especially with long bone fractures, and if the NSAIDs were used for longer than 72 hours. These concerns coming from randomized studies and some observational data as well. Even this side of the argument, though, has to admit that the meta-analyses data is suspect because of conflicting results as well as inconsistent controlling for the confounders we just mentioned above, All the same, though, these authors still sigh towards the conclusion that at least for some cases, NSAIDs just shouldn't be used. They specify that fractures involving the tibial shaft, humerus, existing non-union, those with spinal fractures requiring fusion, comminuted fractures, and unstable fractures are all at risk when NSAIDs are used, especially when used for longer than 72 hours. So in a spoonful, at the end of the day, honestly, the jury is still out on this one, so it's likely going to depend on you and what you think is best for your patient. A possible risk of non-union with longer healing times against the known risks of opioids. You decide. 
Then we have the third article, which was titled Clinical Validity of Serum Antibodies for SARS-CoV-2, a case control study out of the annals of internal medicine. Still a lot of questions out there to be answered about COVID, many of which are related to immunity because that's what's going to get us protected. If you have antibodies against COVID, what, I mean, what does that even mean? Does that mean that you're immune because you were infected? Does that mean you were vaccinated? Is this test even accurate? Is it valid? It's been almost a year, but it's still too early to tell the answers about most of those questions. At least, though, the last one these authors tried to figure out. How good is the antibody test? This was a small, single-center case control study with 60 hospital patients who were diagnosed with COVID-19 by molecular testing and with clinical symptoms. To use as controls at 513 seronegative healthy volunteers or the serum of patients that had been sent to the immunology lab for other reasons. Now, let's talk the numbers. The sensitivity of IgG for SARS-CoV-2 spike protein when measured at 14 days or later was 97.6%, and the specificity was 98.8%. Oddly, the higher the IgG titer, the more likely that patient was to develop ARDS. Now, those numbers seem pretty good, but that last bit about antibodies being more common in more severe patients, that could be important because there were problems with this study. This was a sample of cases who were all sick enough to be in the hospital. So logically, the performance of the antibody testing may not be as good in patients who were less sick. Also, preferably, the study of diagnostic tests is done prospectively. Lastly, the gold standard test you are all likely familiar with, that is the PCR testing of a brain biopsy, oh, sorry, I meant nasal swab, was not done on all the controls, which isn't ideal. But that being said, some of the serum samples from controls were actually collected in 2019, and COVID certainly didn't exist then. So despite all that, the numbers are actually quite good, so this is a promising study. In a spoonful, the sensitivity and specificity of antibody testing for SARS-CoV-2 in hospitalized patients when measured after at least 14 days of illness was 97.6% and 98.8% respectively. Following that, we have the fourth article titled Angiotensin II for the Emergency Physician out of the Journal of Emergency Medicine. Regular, run-of-the-mill hypotension is enough of a bother. When that hypotension is refractory to the usual treatments, then we start to have a real problem. We have the usual pressors, which are of course always within arm's reach, like norepinephrine and vasopressin. But we'd like to talk about something that could be used as an adjunct to those, and this is angiotensin II. It's not new by any means, even if perhaps this is the first you hear of it for this use. It's actually been around for about 50 years. But a new synthetic version, rather than the bovine-derived form, was made in 2017, and that's helped to get a lot of traction. So while you may not use something like this, like angiotensin, in your ER, it is used in ICUs in some places. And since many patients might stick around in your department before heading to the ICU, it could be useful to keep this in your mind and maybe as a tool for your future. Now, we're all very familiar with that norepinephrine acts through the sympathetic system on alpha and beta adrenergic receptors. And then vasopressin has its own mechanism acting through the arginine vasopressin system, acting on vasopressin 1 and 2 receptors. Angiotensin has a third mechanism, which is separate from the other two, working through the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. And that's great, because when other treatments aren't working, well, I mean, let's, we want to try something new. Now, the ATHOS-3 study showed that angiotensin-2 was an effective add-on agent for increasing MAP, allowing for other vasopressors to actually be titrated down. 
There may be some increased risk of DVTs, so you'll want to put these patients on prophylaxis if you start angiotensin, though. Keep in mind that this has only been tested as an add-on for other vasopressors, so using it on its own at this point would not be advisable. On top of that, two of the authors of the Athos 3 study had financial conflicts of interest with a company that produces angiotensin 2. Always good to keep that in mind. So in a spoonful, angiotensin 2 is an add-on vasopressor for refractory distributive shock that effectively increases MAP and may be norepinephrine sparing. Now we don't actually have a fifth article for this week since the fifth article would have fallen on Christmas, but we'll come back to that at the end. For now, let's do a quick review of everything we covered today. First, there may be a risk of NSAIDs causing non-union and delayed healing when used after acute fractures, particularly if they're used for more than 72 hours. That will have to be weighed against the risk of opioids if there's need for better pain control. There's no clear answer in the literature from this, so you might have to decide for yourself. Then after that, we had good sensitivity and specificity for COVID-19 antibody testing in hospitalized patients at 98% and 99% respectively. Finally, from the fourth article, there's a new-ish kit on the block in the vasopressor world. Its name is angiotensin 2, and it works as an add-on which could decrease norepinephrine needs and increase MAP. So like I said, since it was a holiday, there was no fifth article from this week. On behalf of the Journal Feed team and myself, I'd like to wish you all happy holidays. And, of course, to commemorate the occasion and hopefully to lift your spirits since the holidays might be a little bit different this year, we've had a friend of the blog, Jason Garner, produce a song for you. Please, enjoy. I don't want a lot for Christmas There is just one thing I need Don't need a new vacation I just need some PPE I'd just like for me to own More than you could ever know Mask, gloves, and hand goo You know that all I want for Christmas is you I won't ask for much this Christmas Except a vaccine cold as snow And I'm not content to keep on waiting I know it's fast, it seems so slow There's no sense in hanging steroids There upon the ivy pole Isn't it about prevention For public health, yes that's the goal I just want to work tonight With a mask that's not so tight SARS-CoV-2 You know that all I want Is to be rid of you Christmas lights are shining So brightly everywhere And they've been that way Since fall was in the air Everyone is thinking If I can get those lights to blink And I might feel a lot less sad About the ones I really love Being so far away from me I don't want a lot for Christmas This is all I'm asking for No, I just wanna see folks healthy No more patients on death's door I just want you in my Saving me from certain harm Oh, 
SARS-CoV-2 I want a vaccination I want a vaccination Against you SARS-CoV-2 I want a vaccination Against you